Hi Jacinta, um, welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast. Great to have you here. Jacinta's from Fifth Element. Uh, Jacinta, welcome and tell us a bit about yourself. Um, hi guys, thanks for having me on board. I'm really excited for today. Um, the Fifth Element is a, a digital transformation company and we look to help support businesses um, move through the digital revolution and help um, eliminate the Kodak moments really is probably <laughs> what our, our biggest uh, catch cry is. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's that's what we aim to do, both small business and big business. I'd like to ask this sort of question because it can mean different things to everybody. What does digital transformation mean to you within a business setting? Um, within a business setting, it's definitely about responding to the forces of progress um, okay. is probably the simplest way I put it. Um, we are in, uh, we are being driven by technology and that's enabled a whole range of different things. And it's not until you sort of sit back and you have a look into the past, even, you know, four or five years ago that you mm -hmm. understand how far we've actually transformed without even really knowing it. Um, and what we've, what we've changed in the last 30 years, we'll be seeing in the next three years. Yeah, and that evolution comes quickly now. It, it seems to be quick, getting quicker and quicker as we go. So, Jacinta, um, from your experience, now today we've got you on to talk a lot about data. Now, you've been working in the startup world, business world, in terms of transformation. Um, in terms of data, what sort of impact does that have on a business and direction moving forward? Uh, we use data to make uh, all our decisions, very well-informed decisions, and we in, we support businesses to do the same thing. So um, I've, I've had uh, experience over the last uh, 10 years, I suppose, um, being able to understand patterns in data to then actually be able to inform business decisions, so create business intelligence around data to... Um, ensure that I'm actually making the correct decisions and I'm not moving from a, like a gut or a, a reactive uh, type of situation. So to do that, you you actually need to um, come like helicopter up and, and understand exactly where the business needs to go or what questions you actually need to ask to then be able to try and find or weed through the data to create meaning from that data. And to ensure that that data is actually giving you accuracy as opposed to biases as well. Uh, so you need to understand where the, the information's come from, um, you know, how, how live that data is, how to question or interrogate that data to get true meaning mm -hmm. uh, that's actually of business intelligence. And normally speaking, you need to put um, some ETL or some, some you know, assumptions around that data to actually really interrogate it correctly. You mentioned something about questions. What are questions relevant per business, per sector? How do you generally look at diving into questions before we look at data? Um, we always, we, we unravel it. Mm -hmm. um, so we always start the questions with how might we? And, and okay. so that's then you're trying to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and we also uh, need to, we do a little bit of a, a workshop around what does success actually look like? Mm -hmm. So unless you understand where your goals are in the next one year, two years, five years, and you don't understand what success is and then you can't drive towards it, so then we can't unpack what that goal is to understand where the questions are to then find the data to then actually be able to answer that question, mm -hmm. 
to then give you the, the, the knowledge as to whether or not you're actually on the right track or if you're actually on the wrong track and you need to stop, pivot and then continue. So in terms of, you mentioned the Kodak moment right at the start of the conversation. So when you're in a conversation, especially with organisations, businesses, what what are their fears, concerns, given the state of play with transformation and everything digital right now? Are people fearful of getting left behind or are they more open to the opportunity of changing business model, changing direction? How do you feel the market is playing out right now? It's really mixed, actually. Um, there's a lot of fear of change mm-hmm. and um, the technology or digital transformation actually affects all areas yeah. of the business. It's not just technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we've done is we've developed in conjunction with um, Deloitte or off the back of Deloitte and EY Sweeney, a a digital maturity scanning program that actually looks at the entire business. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this is all very data-driven, so we actually understand exactly where the weaknesses and gaps are. And and you may have all the technology in the world, but if you haven't brought your people with you, you will not be able to transform to spite yourself. Okay. Um, So there is, it's, it's really, it's, it's, quite um, different. Every business is very, very different. And a lot of businesses are sitting there going, oh, no, we don't need to change. And then, you know, I I had a a sign company actually um, the other day, you know, we don't need to change. Digital doesn't affect us. We have physical signs outside. And so, you know, we're we're okay. And I said, well, hang on, you know, 20 years ago, (laughs) we were using a paintbrush. (laughs) So digital has affected your business. Yeah, correct. Some people are just hidden to the fact and what digital means. They think, Mm -hmm. It's a physical product, but it's the digital side that creates and assists and develops it. Yes, yeah. And and I use Kodak Moment um, because that's close to my heart. My very first business was actually a one-hour Photoshop. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had I, I went through that Kodak Moment. I was a part of all of that. Um, and I, you know, to begin with, I had a, a one-hour photo lab that was inside a, photo, a um, chemist in regional New South Wales. Okay, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. And um yeah, and so I became president of understand what was going on in in the external environment for my business and that mm-hmm. wasn't enough for me. So then I sat on the board of the Photo Marketing Association and I started to understand what was going on within my industry. At the end of uh, 1999, I launched one of the first digital labs in New South Wales. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um I was a young mum with with three children and I was only 26 at the time, um, being guided by my gut only yeah. and the fact that the big boys were, were importing these huge machines worth $500,000 and they wouldn't do that if they were going to fall over. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I got out in front and I partnered with AGFA and I became AGFA's um, first digital show lab in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we AGFA, actually then... I don't know. I've never heard of AGFA. We made film initially. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, I haven't heard of it. Yeah, they, they, they yeah. made film. film. Yep, they were yeah, one okay. of the four yeah. big brands. CDs, all so there there were... DVDs, yeah, all that yeah, sort of okay. stuff. Yep. Yeah, 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 so there was yeah. Um, Kodak, Fuji, AGFA and Konica. I've heard of all other three, but not Agfa. So there, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> German, yes. German. All right, it would have been a good brand, I imagine. Yeah, yes. yeah, it was great technology. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we did that, and we yeah. solved. We we looked to the skies, and we uh-huh. solved because we needed to make that work very quickly. Yes. So we solved the distribution problems for one of the biggest um, users of 
of Imitri, and that was Gettys and Reuters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we became very, very successful. And in 2002, I sold that lab. Yes. And it was one of the longest lasting labs. It's now gone. Yeah, okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I used, and again, uh, back then, I was understanding patterns and trying to, to make those patterns help me make decisions. Mm-hmm. Moving forward. It's about your trajectory. Where do you think we're going to be in the next three to five years? And those decisions need to be thought about now. Um, And business models are shifting. Thinking needs to shift. And like you said earlier, we're moving faster and faster. So the next three years we will change again compared to what we've seen in the past five. So it's a very interesting conversation that we can go down. Um, But today, what we really want to dig in on is really data and what that can actually mean for a business. You've touched upon, obviously, looking at it from a gut perspective, but how do we get down to the the root of what's actually going on within an organization? Or I'm in a startup business, I'm a non-tech, I'm in an an industry, I'm looking at an industry, where should I start? There's a plethora of information out there. Where do you think we should start? Um, huge question. <laughs> it is. I like to ask big questions. Okay. So I'm going to use an example of a, a startup um, that's just come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a, a very simple concept. It's it's Netflix for seniors is um, what the startup is. Okay. Uh, and, sh- and she'll love me using her as an example. <laughs> so what she's doing is she's simply entertaining. Her product is about entertaining um, elderly Okay. On scale. So she does a lot of live performance now and she's sort of gone, well, okay, if we, we digitise this and put it on scale, we can help make a lot more people happy and that's what her outcome was. So she came to us with a very, very basic MVP that mm-hmm. she had tested in um, a, an, a home in a, a group setting to make sure that it actually had the same level of interaction with the residents as what her live uh, interactions have. And it did, you know, and she got lots of smiles and people were getting up and going. So she knew a product was going to work. Mm-hmm. So she came to us to understand, okay, where do I take it from here and how do I go? And so as with most startups, they're, they're very, very focused on their concept and their product and they um, don't actually understand what the other side of that product can actually create. So first can of all, create. So what do you mean by the other side of the product? Uh, so with with looking at the other side of the product, so the external product is is you know entertainment for mm-hmm. for the elderly, and then when you turn the business around and actually have a look at the back end, and you go, okay, hang on, what are we gathering here? What information are we gathering? And there is always a plethora of of data out there that you can capture, but the the trick of of really understanding how to interrogate that data with meaning and let go of a lot of data as well. Yeah, because there's so um, much there. So yeah. where, where do you hone in on is probably the biggest question yeah. that you can all ask. Yeah. yeah, so first of all, we we looked at um, honing in on, on one particular segment of data and that would be, okay, how do we understand what's working and what's not working with your product mm-hmm. so that we can continually uh, improve the product and build the areas. So she had entertainment, trivia, facts, um, and a couple of, and news feed. Okay. So we needed to understand what people were actually pulling towards them and what they were watching and what was the most beneficial so that she could continue to actually be able to create that content and know where to put. Otherwise you, you're building everything the same and, you know, you're wasting some of your energy. So that was number mm-hmm. one area that we went after. Mm-hmm. 
And then the second area that we went after was we actually had a look out there and go, okay, what, what is a similar business model doing uh, that, and how are they using data to uh, make decisions or help the user or, or create a more beneficial product? And, and so obviously we looked at Netflix. Yeah, definitely. So a similar model. So looking at what they're doing, yeah. get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Netflix uses the information, the user's information and puts it through an algorithm to start understanding and be able to predict what the, the content uh, the, and then put relevant information in front of the user mm-hmm. and therefore then making the product seamless for yes. the actual user, increasing the value of that product. So that was the second avenue of data that we were, we established uh-huh. to go after. And then there was the third avenue of data, which was we need to actually be able to make business decisions. And to be able to make those business decisions, we need to understand where to put money, where the gaps are, um, uh, where, where to buy content in, what's, um, you know, so if you're looking at efficiencies of, of timeframes of, you know, Julie actually going out and, and finding all of those trivia questions and writing it or getting a copywriter in. Mm-hmm. So we, we had to understand, you know, what, what level of uh, products that, like what programming they wanted, that the users wanted to then understand what resources to put behind that. Get it. And then also understand what it means if the, if the, the um bottom line of the business is going up, what does that actually mean? So, and again, we had, we formed a dashboard that would understand with, you know, as, as the cash flow, as we monetize the product um, and went out to market, you know, how, like at what stages do we then continue to build? So they were the various different angles that we, the three different angles that we took initially. And then finally, we have to understand that, that data is worth um, more than oil. Uh, if you put it to the right revenue part, sorry, data partner, you can actually create new revenue streams that have got nothing to do with the actual product. Interesting. So we, yeah, applied that logic to her startup as well, and we created five different data partners. So five partners that would be highly interested in mm-hmm. various different pieces of information that her product could capture within the um, elderly home environment. And they were found based off a, a big need or a big problem, and that big problem was put forward to the entire industry by the Royal Commission and the mental health of our elderly within the um, elderly home system and and that structured care system. And so her product um, actually could demonstrate the elderly getting up and moving around. And then if we also captured or put that data towards that movement data toward or increased movement towards the medication that was um, being given to that individual and the reduction of that medication, we were then actually starting to form some very, very good intel to be able to support the actual home in what they are deploying within and a point of difference. With the inf- like the, with the programming that the individuals within the the residents, sorry, within the um, uh, elderly care, depending on what inf- what programming they were bringing towards them, we could actually demonstrate that they were getting up and moving about and interacting at a higher degree. And then we coupled that with the possibility of um, using that information against medications and the reduction okay. of medications, which would then prove that interaction. Yeah. So, and then that created um, 
the the nursing homes to be able to say, you know, we have these programs in place and we can reduce or increase the quality of living within our organisation because of these things and here's the data to prove it. So it ended up solving that one particular simple program of entertainment ended up solving a whole range of different okay. problems. So just to, just to pair back some sort of learning from that. So you basically, you've got a product, you've got a concept, but then you mentioned to look on the outskirts of who else you can help with the data and the learning behind what you're doing. And you found five partners. Now, what sort of information did you look into to dive into those particular areas and say, who can we help based on what we're doing? Where did you start there? Um, we looked at the industry mm-hmm. and we looked to try and solve a problem that already existed within that industry. Okay. Um, so that's when we went immediately to the, the Royal Commission and we went, okay, what mm-hmm. does what is the biggest concern with the Royal Commission and what is the biggest problem that this industry has Yes. and how can we then solve it? Get it. So you're looking at your concept and, then, and yep, idea. So, and then how do we use data to solve that? Yeah, no, very, very good. Yep. Okay. And then how can we use this particular startup mm-hmm. yeah, to capture that information? Was there a process or a method around how you identified the data that would be useful or how to ensure that you're capturing enough to meet those needs? Well, this is where if you design the question before you design the data capture or the, the actual product, mm-hmm. that's when you can um, engineer the product to be able to answer the question. So... Prior to even, so we've got an MVP, which is a very basic web page, but she is then moving into a whole range of um, like an app solution. What she hasn't done is she hasn't built the app or or nailed down the app um, Mm -hmm. uh, criteria at this Mm -hmm. point, which then enabled us to go, okay, what, what problems do we need to solve? And therefore then you know, because we need to solve that individual one-on-one, then that created the need that the app has to be user login, whereas prior to that it wasn't user login. So you understand the questions that you're trying to solve and then you build the product to meet those those questions. Mm-hmm. So a big takeaway there is... Otherwise you've built the product, yeah. Yeah, so you yeah. built a product to serve what you perceive to be obviously entertainment but in reality you're solving a bigger problem so would you say if you're walking into an industry really dig and understand all the core components and challenges within that industry even though you perceive to be just solving this particular problem um, potentially your product can evolve to solving bigger and better problems that can add more value to the whole industry absolutely yeah. we've got a, another startup that's actually just a mm-hmm. a um, travel itinerary builder. Okay. Now mm-hmm. that's that's a very simple front end solution. Yes. Um, when you turn that product around and you have a look at the back end, you go, okay, what are we capturing here, and whose mm-hmm. problem can we solve? Mm-hmm. You can solve an entire destination's problem by capturing individual party sizes, their interactions between different businesses, the clusters of businesses that they move through, how long they're staying there, where they're eating. And you can build an entire destination development plan based on all of that information if you choose to capture it at the front. So that then dictated to me that this this product, this um, itinerary builder needed to capture how many people are in your party, mm-hmm. uh, how long are you staying for, you know, and, and to get them to actually pull in the businesses and build the, uh, the itinerary within the app. And then we could, you know, we never asked for their 
well, they, they logged in, but we never use their um, actual identity. We, we create this pool of data and then we can say to a destination, in your destination, 80% of your, travel, your visitors are small families, young families with two children visiting for three days and generally go from, use two activities per day and average they stay at this type of um, accommodation. You can answer a whole range of different questions with that. Yeah, interesting. So you're basically in that sort of service. Um, is that a data play or is that potential, that product a fee for service or is it just predominantly collecting data and then assisting locations in that area? Oh, well, you collect the data and you create a product yep. that is then the solution for the destination and then you go to the destination and sell that product. Get so it. you're actually creating mm -hmm. a revenue stream yep. um, by, by putting meaning around that data mm -hmm. um, yeah, and we're interrogating it in a manner that, it, that will solve one of their problems. And the biggest problem for destinations is that that is um, majority assumptive data mm -hmm. that they're using and it's really broad data that they're actually using because nobody's um, capturing it actually on a user level. And one of the questions I'd ask is if we're exploring data and you go down that travel itinerary component, like how many numbers do you need statistically to be saying, all right, on average, this is where we're at. So how many people would you need at a destination in that particular case? It would be um, data be being built over a period of time. Yes. So I would suggest mm -hmm. that you know, in the first three months of the activity, you wouldn't yeah. really get much meaning from it. Mm -hmm. And with a destination, you would have to have, um, a, a, you know, you'd be nearly hitting, I'm guessing here, but, you know, you would have to have at least 50,000 50, users mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. to be able to really start getting deep insights and be able to segment them without it being it's like using segmentation yeah. systems without it being biased mm -hmm. okay. um, because, you know, there would be, and it would have to be over a period of time because there would be various biases as well put onto the destination based on weather patterns, um, holiday, you know, school holiday patterns, all sorts of different things. So you would yeah. need to, to build that over time. So that would be, um, you know, a, a product that they could interrogate at a moment in time, but also as at, mm -hmm. um, you know, periods and and again that's then all those questions the way you question that data actually then cr helps you create the product for the the end user to use and then user in that case is the destination not yes. necessarily just obviously you have to engage people coming on to build their itinerary um, and give value there otherwise they're not going to come and yeah. give you any data at all that's going to be valuable to any destination let alone and it's a face yeah. that's good for them. So um, it's one of those, it's the two-pronged approach. So a data play in this, you need both. You need people bringing in the data, the itinerary, as well as in the destination interested in it. So you need the data in a form that's going to deliver value to them. Yeah. Yeah. And the only way of, of having mm -hmm. the, the destination that is actually interested in the end result is yes. a destination that can't solve that problem for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, I suppose the big key de takeaway is with all of this is that, you know, when you're developing new solutions or using data or capturing any form of data, it's really um, important at such an early infancy to understand what it is you have, um, what problems you're needing to solve, yes. and then build the product against that as opposed to just always saying, okay, you know, I've got an entertainment product and, and all I need to do is sing a few songs and 
video it and put it onto an app. You know, that's not where it stops. There's so much more that can happen. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting thought because we all sit on the fact of, and I hear it all the time, we get focused in on the piece of technology we're building and we focus all energy on that product. But looking on the outskirts, there's a business model around it and this is leading to a different business model that can potentially impact the way you build your product. So some really good insight there, um, Jacinta. Thanks for sharing that insight. Now, one thing I want to dive in a little bit about is you've recently set up a, a data startup program. Now, I want to talk a bit about that, what that means, and some of the areas that you take startups through to get some real clarity around what their data play is and what's important when they're exploring data. Uh, yeah, so we've um, partnered with the federal government to deliver a three-month data project mm -hmm. for startups yep. and, and we've used economy of scale to, to be able to deliver that. So we've got a, a team of data experts in, mm -hmm. um, you know, including data architecture, uh, sorry, data architects and um, ETL developers, um, SQL developers yes. and um, in particular being led by a, a gentleman called Patrick Spedding. Okay. Um, now he's, he's out of the UK but has worked uh, for a number of years with IBM and developing their business intelligence tools. So mm -hmm. he actually developed the tools that then enable us to to bring everything together. So normally speaking, you know, it would be a, a fourteen thousand to a twenty thousand dollar project for an individual startup, which no startup can afford. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. But <laughs> when we've brought, you know, we've we've brought the opportunity for five businesses or five startups uh -huh. to come together and be able to join the program. Um, and it's been subsidised by the federal government to yep. the tune of $7,000 plus, yep. mm -hmm. uh, which then means that the startups only need to um, invest 5000 to be able to create a business intelligence mm -hmm. program around their specific data uh, startup uh, that looks at, so initially we, we build the business intelligence dashboard so they understand what questions that they need answers to to know the success of their business or how to get their business back into success um, and where to make those pivots. And, and so that's the, the initial product that they end up coming away with, which is priceless on a, a business level, particularly for early startups. Um, and then secondary, secondly, you work with Patrick to identify data partners um, and identify new data streams. Now, we've got a couple of startups already in and we've actually matched them to their data partners already and the data partner has actually sponsored them into the program. Interesting. Okay, so they're paying the yeah. initial five Yeah, for so, yep. um, and, and in that sense then, you know, the, the, the way that we approached that was, you know, here's a number of different potential data partners. Mm -hmm. Let's go out and talk to a couple of them with Patrick um, so that Patrick can sort of speak that data side and, and have an early um, understanding of what data that partner may actually need yes. or what problem they need solving. Mm -hmm. um, and then see if they are that engaged and actually really do need that problem solved. And if they sponsor you into the program, then we can develop it against their needs mm. specifically. So then that creates a very, very long-term uh, partnership with a with a startup, and it's a different approach to a, a you know a venture capitalist approach of startup funding. So for these startups, they're potentially pivoting from what the original idea was to developing a business that's going to suit the need of the data partner. It's developing different criteria within their business mm -hmm. that will answer the questions for that data partner. Correct. Okay. 
get it. Yeah. And from a so you mentioned business intelligence dashboard. Let's dig in a little bit on that. So just say I'm a startup and you mentioned, I don't know, let's pick an industry. What's an industry you know very well and worked in before? So you said photography or even um, printing photos. Would that be something we can explore a little bit in terms of designing a business intelligence dashboard? Um, yeah, it can be. I have got a, a lived experience mm-hmm. that's um, uh, that we used a data intelligence dashboard to it was a program that we okay. um, were rolling out across New South Wales with yeah. three government agencies, mm-hmm. um, and we were collecting a significant amount of data okay. with that. Um, and so, and like a lot of data, actually. So we really had to to debunk and understand what was um, meaningful and what wasn't, mm-hmm. um, which then meant we had to understand what success looked like for our program. Um, and that created the, the the data intelligence dashboard. So, sorry, the business intelligence dashboard. So our dashboard was basically understanding, you know, during the course of the program, if there was any bottlenecks, we had a number of external and internal stakeholders too. So we needed to be able to manage those stakeholders, workload, resource capacity, um, and then also revenue. So, um, you know, we were paying them and we had to manage that that payment system we were paying businesses. We had to manage that payment system against the budget. Um, you know, as new um, opportunities came to the business, instead of you know us sitting there going, "Oh, okay," you know, if we go out to um, non-profit organisations, there is a, a big pool of non-profit organisations. We can you know extend the program or double the program, the capacity of the program. So let's go and do it. What the business intelligence da- dashboard enabled us to do was to to plug in that scenario and then project out whether or not that was uh, feasible with the capacity that we actually had within the program or whether or not it would max out our capacity, mm-hmm. whether or not it would max out our budget and our spend and what impact would it have on the long-term project. So does that then shorten the project or does it create a longevity, like further um, does it lengthen out the program? Okay, so um, forecast. Yeah, it's basically, cash flow. Yeah, it forecasted our yeah, cash flow. Yeah. We could then um, set up our KPIs, mm-hmm. which then we could report directly yeah. against that cash flow with mm-hmm. the KPIs. Um, so we could understand. Okay, in the last month, we 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 surpassed our KPIs. Why? Mm-hmm. So then we could turn around and we could understand the activity that we had done in the past, and then we could re- replicate that activity out into the future to you know continue to either control the KPIs, change the KPIs. We could do year on year. So have a look at this time mm-hmm. last year, what happened, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the growth of that. So there was a lot of um, business development that we were able to to capture and project based on the data, um, the business intelligence board. Perfect. So dashboard. that dashboard there is, in reality, if I'm starting from scratch building that, it's all about the strategic direction of the business and putting all those mechanisms in place to track, measure, and see what's important to the business moving forward. So your outcomes, what you're focusing on, you mentioned KPIs there, you mentioned cash flows, trajectories, uh, predictions as well. Um, With building that dashboard, what do you generally use to build that? Are you using off-the-shelf tech or building that custom? What are you doing there? um, For that particular solution, Mm -hmm. we used Cognos. Uh, So we were drawing together about five different live sources of data and putting that through a data warehouse against 
mm-hmm. other data. So it was it was a bit of a data nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it worked because we had stakeholders on on all different levels. Yes. Um, so we had, and so therefore then their dashboards needed to say something different. They had to mm-hmm. make decisions. Um, so which would, you know, if you bring that down into a business level, you know, you would have your director and your marketing team and your comms team mm-hmm. um, and your tech team. Yep. They all need different questions answered. Yes. So we, we derived a specific dashboard for each of those as well. Mm-hmm. So um, which then, you know, we, we had to then test that data against bigger data. So a data lake um, as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was so Cognos is a very, very high-end, um, extremely programmable, um, specific program. So you don't mm-hmm. normally need to, to go to that level, uh, but that was the complexity that we needed, so that would solve that. So within the framework of your startup world, so the startup program, what are they developing the business intelligence dashboards in? What what do they generally do? They may not have anything at this stage, so they're pulling data no, they from don't. different sources. So <laughs> what's their process there? Um, and again, this is why we, we get them, we try and get them in early uh-huh. is because we can actually solve that problem mm. simply to yes. begin with. So um, the reason why it got so complex with the other program was because the product was built mm-hmm. without understanding what questions needed answered. So we had, it was a very complex solution then mm-hmm. had to be put in place. Okay. With our startups that we've got now with our um, seniors channel startup, she's yes. actually going to be using Databox, which is a free um program okay. uh, on the level that she needs. It's captured over time. It gives her a really accurate um, dashboard. There's multiple different dashboards that she oh. can seek and we can actually interrogate up to 10 different sources. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the data box, which is just such a simple solution, mm-hmm. um, you know, can be integrated into a without a, a financial burden um, to startups if you know how to use it properly and if you know how to question the data correctly and capture it. And then you can move up into Tableau. There's a lot mm-hmm. of off-the-shelf um, solutions, Power BI. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Google Analytics. Google has also got a data solution mm-hmm. that's um, that's looking to be quite good. And even as simple as, um, you know, I, I have actually developed one based on Excel. Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of Excel ones floating around. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> so That's place, a great program, that one. Place we generally yeah. start is the first thing we turn to. Yeah. We've got some data. Yeah. Let's write it in some uh, cells and do some calculations on it. Done. <laughs> yep. Yep, perfect. At so, a very simple rule, would you suggest for anyone to just start capturing any data they can initially? Um, not, yes and no. Um, that, that's it. I think if you go out with a plan, uh, I think it's a lot better and that's when you're not capturing data for the sake of capturing data. You know, we're, we are inundated with it. And then once once you, once you have a look at all of the data and, you know, if you haven't got the clear questions in your head, it's really difficult to interrogate anything. And if you're just capturing anything and everything, it just becomes even more complex on how to actually string that together Mm-hmm. to be able to, to answer anything. Noise. Yeah, I think you're saying to end up with so, too yeah. much noise. Yeah, just data overload and then you don't know what to do. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it, then you, it's the choice paradox, mm-hmm. you know, kicks in where, you know, the, the, the cognitive load of trying to, to actually choose what you want and 
we uh, we find it very hard to let go of things <laughs> um, and data's included in that you know so we just capture everything and go oh, we might use some of it at some point but yeah. actually no it's just slowing your system down get rid of it yeah okay <laughs> is, is there, <laughs> clean it out i'm following on to that is there a possibility of having a bias when you're looking at the data to have it say what you wanted to say or to make your assumptions true rather than looking at the data in its true form yeah i'm i've got a big problem with that you can make data say anything that you want it to say Mm -hmm. um and yeah i'm i'm dead against that uh and you know that's why i actually don't even with user testing you can bias a user testing session so easily Mm um and you know, the, or you can go after where the crowd is and just if you're going after where the crowd is when you're doing user research, you're biasing the information. And Facebook's actually even um, got some issues with this at the moment where the algorithm is actually biasing against certain various um, products based on where geographically it's being located due to the demographics of that particular geographical location. So they're having issues with it as well. So mm. even... You know, something that, that isn't human touched can also still create these biases. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think um, being uh, removing the ego um, and, and having an external party look at your data, understand your questions and try and match those answers is, is critical because no matter what, we don't want our, pro, our businesses or our startups to fall over or the tech to fall over. And this is one of the, the, the most powerful tools that you can use to actually stop that from happening or get an early warning that Mm, this isn't the correct way of doing it and you know we've come a long way from you know before we used to capture data and and that would then give us an average and and everybody would know well anybody who's in research will know that you know the the average is is the point the middle point between the two extremes that doesn't actually exist and so we were making all our decisions based on this point in the middle that doesn't exist. There's no user that is, you know, the average family in Australia is 2.3 children. There's no point three. Yeah, it doesn't know one's <laughs> walking around with just two legs. Or... <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we've moved from average to causality. So when you yeah. put behaviour behind or behavioural algorithms behind this data and actually start understanding causality, that's when we can really make a difference um, and use data to its true ability. Okay, so probably a bit of a technical one, but touching on that point you made about Facebook's algorithm. So mm-hmm. that's so moving towards big data and AI with inherent biases within programmers who make these things, that gets influenced in the software they develop. So then how would yes. that be avoided to get clean data rather than having that bias implemented or the lens that you're seeing it through to not be implemented? What sort of approach would you take from the person either creating it or the person viewing it? Yeah, well, that's a loaded question too. Um, I actually don't know. I haven't put my head to to trying to solve it. Um, The only way we can solve it is by learning from it. Mm -hmm. So we didn't know that that was going to happen until such time it happened. So we need to now learn from that and go, okay, you know, there has to be an element of, um, I'll use an example because, you know, that, that's the best way of demonstrating it. So the, the, the behavioural algorithms online, both with Google and, well, any algorithm that's selling something. So, um, you know, if I go out and, and um, look for a product, I will only be shown the product that the business who owns that product 
has done a good job of playing the algorithm. Yep. Yeah. So correct. if oh, if that, that product hasn't played the algorithm, so it hasn't advertised where it needed to advertise, it hasn't used the methodology that it needed to use mm-hmm. to actually be able to get up into the AI algorithm, I will never know that that product actually exists. Mm-hmm. So the algorithm is now dictating what I am exposed to. Yep. So the only way to fix that in the um, in the learning, in the machine learning of the actual algorithm is to, to actually put an error method in. So, you know, show it to 80% of people that we know are users and then an error message, a method of, and also these group here just in case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't know how you're going to work that out in the algorithm, but yeah, yeah there has so, to be a, a percentage of error put into it to continuously train it. So that would be similar to say when you see a Google ad, an AdWords image, you can click on the little cross and say, stop showing me this. And they give you the option because I've purchased it. So they're trying to close the loop to know, all right, we showed an ad, you ended up purchasing the thing that we tracked, whether it was through us or not, or it's, I don't want to see this anymore. It's yeah, not relevant. Yeah, so it's not relevant so that's to what me. that group would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that would be the 20% that we're going to show it to you, even though we know it's not mm-hmm. necessarily relevant to you, but it actually may be relevant to you. Yeah. You but, just haven't demonstrated the online behavior that tells us or that fits within our pattern. Mm-hmm. And then you're yeah, in that sort of selling and marketing example. The bias mm-hmm. would come from the advertise or the business who's actually paying for the ad because they're only going to show you from a pool of products that are based on people paying, not what's actually relevant to you. They're not showing you yep. any product on the internet. Yep. Yep. And then, yeah, just touching on that, another example would be, I'm not sure if you ever heard about this sort of like AI bots that people train for chatting and they train them off data of Reddit. Mm-hmm. They inherently oh, okay. end up racist and Nazis. Like they bring up Nazis and Adolf Hitler in conversation, and they end up being Beauty. racist because wow. they're being trained by a data set that is skewed, skewed in that <laughs> yeah. way normally. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and I suppose that would be like any form of um, you know extreme content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if if you're if you're going to, to sort of you know be relying on any of that, it's it's going to be biased towards that. And that's any form of um blog because yep. the blogs are actually extreme towards either the business or the industry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we're 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 working our way into a a, a big sea of um noise. That's the only way of putting it. Like yep. yeah. So, and, and news and the fake news and mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff. So it's really, it's, it's, and we're making it up as we go and we're yeah. failing as we're going as well. And that's where those um, little reactions and those markers that these systems put together. So the like and the yeah. unlike and the whatever those different reactions are just little signals to try and tune the algorithm so that it can present to you the stuff that will make you happier or that you would like in the case of yeah. whether you react to something as sad or happy. Yeah, and we've you know as consumers we've we've moved we're we're nearly um, uh, uh, upset over push marketing now. Like we are absolutely um, we've been desensitized to it because we've moved from push marketing, you know, the screamy advertising that that comes off television through newspapers and radio, mm-hmm. and we've moved towards pull marketing. So we pull the information towards us that we actually want. So is it that we need to be trained? to understand how to pull effectively in response to the algorithm as opposed to teaching the algorithm how to respond to us? That's a, that's a heavy question. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, in reality, I think 
anywhere in our office and working environment, there's certain people in this in our environment that can find information faster and answers quicker than others. And yes. That's just their way of learning how to. And Anthony's probably one of them. Um, yeah. If I you want anything Google googled well. or found, just talk to <laughs> Anthony. You'll find it for you. There's just something that he does or the pattern that he does, and he's figured out a way to find answers quickly, whereas others yeah. may take longer. And I think, yeah, I think it's a really interesting point to actually talk about. Um, mm. How and a really a uses. personal, yeah. interesting, fun fact. Uh-huh. Um, my oldest daughter, who is 25, she's yeah. um, Asperger's, very high functioning Asperger's, mm-hmm. but yeah, but mm-hmm. definitely Asperger's. Yeah. Um, and her Google searches are phenomenal. Yeah, and I think it's her. Um, uh, so she she declutters a lot of things by uh-huh. nature, um, and so she cuts through a lot of white noise. So she can get to a very very pertinent question very very quickly. So therefore, then. Her results are brilliant. Yes. So she's found stuff. Yeah, she's a research queen. That one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is. It's getting really clear on what you're looking for, and then you're going to get a better result, right? It's like anything in life. Mm. If you if you're not clear on what you're looking for, or in the in the presence of what outcomes you're driving towards, you're not going to know which question to look at. In the case of looking for data, in the case of just yeah, searching Google, if you're going into it vague, you're not going to get a great yeah, answer and- like anything. In the case of mm. where algorithms are up to these days, it's they're based off keywords and key phrases. So mm. if you write in a sentence, while the developing natural language processing will be able to understand entire sentences, like, oh, what will be the weather tomorrow in blah, blah, blah. If you just type in weather and the state, it will get the same answer mm-hmm. quicker because yeah. it doesn't have to sit there and understand what the intent and the context of your sentence is. And that's understanding yep. what the algorithm is doing. Yeah, and knowing how it, it works. You're in the best advantage. Get it. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, another really good podcast, that one. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. <laughs> yeah, I'll let uh, Anthony ponder on that one. Interesting channel we'll dive down. So just in, and I think it's probably a good place to sort of um, just get some points and tips for you. So if I'm a startup and I, what are, what are three tips I need to start considering data? So I'm designing a product or I'm even in a business designing a product, where should I look? What's the what's the number one thing I start with and then what are some following on things I should look at? Um, I'm I'm very, very focused on user centered design. Mm-hmm. So as you and, and startups they, they're startups and they go through all of the horrible stuff that they go through based on passion for their product. So okay. um yeah, that's that's their key driver. We can never take that away from them. Uh-huh. And and the same as businesses. Yes. Um, however, you need to, in that passion, you need to understand what problem you are solving for the user um, and build directly against that and continuously test against that and use non-assumptive data to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so build small, short and frequently. Yes. Mm-hmm. Test regularly, mm-hmm. fail often mm-hmm. and cheap. Um, and yeah, pivot and, and continue on, but use facts to, to continuously inform that. So, um, yeah, and you have to look for, from three different angles, you know, what problem am I solving for my customer? What, sorry, firstly, what problem am I solving for myself? What problem am I solving for my customer and what problem am I solving for my industry? And that's when you can get the three perspectives. I think that industry one's a very interesting one because that's where you're going to get to the answer of who potentially could be a data partner in this world or who Absolutely. are we helping from a whole and if you go, Yeah, if you yeah. go after a heartfelt need and you mm-hmm. solve a heartfelt need mm-hmm. and you nail that, mm-hmm. you've got product. 
Yes. Your product will work. Yes. But until you um, understand what that problem is, deeply understand what that problem is, uh-huh. understand how to respond to that heartfelt need, um, you can't develop your product because that's um, all of that informs how you pitch it, how you position it, how you build it, everything. And in looking at that need for the industry as a startup, from in the, what I've quickly thought of, there's probably two ways to do it, is try and learn everything there is about that industry and understand it in and out and get to that or try and bring an advisor on board who can get you there quicker and provide those insights from within the industry itself rather than an outsider looking in. Um, I think the the startup or the business owners normally intimately involved with the industry anyway, so yeah, they can normally you give so. you the insights. <laughs> what yes. the what the point of difference is is the external data person actually looking at it and going, "Hang on, how can I solve this uh-huh. through data architecture?" Uh-huh. Um, and therefore, then what question needs answered, and then how do I seek the data or interrogate the data to be able to answer that? And if I can't. Uh-huh. That's not the partner. If I can, bang, we've got a partner or I've got a problem to solve. Okay. Yeah, so, um, so I think, yeah, that the actual startup's probably intimately enough involved with the industry to be able to really understand or suggest some of the problems that are out there. But yeah. it's the data architect or the data solution that can really start seeing, because as I've, I've worked out in, um, you know, I can see data has a lot of meaning to me and I can see patterns in data. And after I've sort of, you know, built a, a, a whole um, data insight, I can actually see something that's 3D. I've, I've built, you know, I've, I've created personas across the Australian, 62 personas of the Australian um, population. And when I finish talking about that particular persona, I actually have a 3D person. In front, I've got a human being in front of me that I've just described. So I can take data to something that's really quite visual and answer mm-hmm. and see patterns that... that um, that some people can't see. So, and I thought that was normal. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> so if, if you're a startup and going through this process and you're trying to bring in a data architect or an engineer to come on board and give you advice, would it be useful for them to get two different opinions from two different data architects so that way the biases aren't coming through and skewing the data, showing them that they can answer it but they actually can't? Um, I would actually, no, no, I wouldn't go for two different opinions. I would actually just interview the data part, the, the data architect correctly um, because you will find a data architect is so analytical mm-hmm. um, that they actually don't have biases okay. because data is God to, to data. Yep. They just um, see the data as it is. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's what yeah, they focus on. how their brain the works. Is, yeah, delivers. Yep. Generally, the bias is going to come from someone that, so probably that person or that, that that founder that is trying to solve the problem. Yeah, that's emotional attachment, right? So if you're involving a data architect, their job is to just Yeah, and they will continuously, yeah, they will continuously seek Mm -hmm. the data that Mm -hmm. will um, support their decision. And that's not the approach that should be taken. The approach is always seek the data to solve the question Mm -hmm. based on fact as opposed to... um, yeah, you can. And that's why I say you, know, you can make data tell tell you anything you want to. Um, you know, if you if you can, because you can taint it to do that. Yeah, yes, you uh, must really hate some of those news announcements they make. Yeah, yeah, not not going to help you. <laughs> yeah, those research papers come up and just dismiss things mm. or do it wrong and present the wrong information. Yeah, yeah, and and out of context. Yep. yep. And that happens all the time. We can turn data mm. towards our favour, and you can utilise data in from a perspective of as a business to sell through products, to influence 
consumers and it's a, it can be a very interesting game in terms of data so yeah not getting yeah. caught up in it um, and just focusing on fact is probably one key takeaway from today's conversation yep yep no, very very good um, Jacinta, I want to yeah, thank you for joining us um, today, just talking a little bit about data and something we really haven't had a conversation about with anyone in terms of when they're looking at their business, business model, um, non-techs looking to solve problems. Data is not one thing that's really come up in terms of a big picture anyway. So really good to get some insight as to where you could look at and what some of the options are. Would you like to share some information about yourself, Jacinta, where people can look out and find you and uh, potentially connect with you? Uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, just search Jacinta Outlaw. There's not many outlaws out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, all of my information is there. Feel free to, to reach out and chat um, to me. Uh, we've also got our website, which is uh, for the Data Accelerator or Incubator. Yes. It's 5edigital.com.au. Okay. And um, and then my website for the company, the transformation company, is the fifth element. M for Mary, E for Egg. But yeah, absolutely, feel free to to reach out and um, connect with me. Definitely through LinkedIn, I, I share a whole heap of data posts and um, information about data and how to use data with business models and all of that sort of stuff from across the world and all of my networks. So there's a lot of information there. Um, and my focus is is a lot on small business and startups. So um, with my first business being a, a one-hour photo lab, I um, am very, very um, attached to small businesses and understand that they're the backbone of Australia. Yeah, so yeah, really like to support them. No, thanks, cool. Jacinta. I really appreciate your time. So if there's any startups or founders listening to this, is there any sort of like one key takeaway you'd like to just leave them with and get them started on their journey? Yeah, connect early with what the potential is of your startup um, to understand, you know, what problems, what heartfelt need you are responding to and test really hard against that. Um, it's a long journey and, yeah, so startups need to have all the tools and resources that they could possibly have to, to help support their resilience that they need to get through the journey that they've got ahead of them. Perfect. Thank right. you, Jacinta. Thank you for that. We'll end that there and uh, really appreciate your time again. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for everything. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys.